Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Matthew's Gospel, the 10th chapter, the 4th verse. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. O Lord, open thou my lips, let my mouth may show forth thy praise. Amen. Good evening, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I hope that all of us are glad to be here tonight. This is Ash Wednesday, as we well know. Yesterday, Tuesday, is known in the church as Shrove Tuesday. That word Shrove is Latin. It comes from the Latin shriven, which means to pardon. It was the day then for pardon before the Lenten season. It is also known as Mardi Gras, which is French, which literally means Fat Tuesday. It was the day when, again, people would rejoice and eat to their full until midnight, the beginning of Ash Wednesday or the Lenten season. Today is called Ash Wednesday from the ancient custom in the Old Testament of individuals who, in showing sorrow, would put ashes upon their heads or the mark of the ashes upon the forehead. We have entered today into the holy season of Lent. The word Lent is a Latin word which means spring, the springtime of the year. It is a period of 40 days, even as Jesus went into the wilderness to you know and fasted for 40 days, and so the Lenten season is a period of 40 days. It is the time when we consider the sufferings and the death of Jesus our Christ and Lord. If you were to take your calendar and count the days from Ash Wednesday until Easter, you will, would find that there are 46 days in that period. Lest you wonder about that, the six Sundays in the Lenten season are not considered Lenten days. And so we have... 40 days. Last year, you recall, I showed you my pictures of the Holy Land. This year, I thought it might be well that we take a look at some of the characters who in the providence of God lived when Jesus was here on earth. Some of the individuals that came into contact with him, especially in Holy Week during the time of his suffering and death. There were not too many of them Yet as they came into contact with Jesus, uh, things happened. Something happened to them. And it would be rather interesting to know just what was it. And if they were alive today, uh, what would their story be if they told us about what happened as they came in contact with our Master? And so we're going to, on each one of our Lenten Vesper evenings, we're going to allow some of these characters to speak to us. We have their record in the Word of God, and basing it on that, I'm sure that they have a story to tell. And in the light of our 20th century, perhaps, it's a story that you and I would like to heed to listen to. Tonight, the character that I would like to have speak to us is the man known as 
Judas Iscariot. If he were alive and he came to Emmanuel tonight, we may say, what would his story be like? I believe it would be something like this. He would say to us tonight, I am Judas Iscariot. My story that I bring you tonight is one of deepest tragedy. I realize that in your 20th century, I am still very well known. You have a play on Broadway and playing in many of your principal cities called Jesus Christ Superstar. Next to him, I am the prime character in that drama. There are those in your 20th century who have tried to put noble motives to what I did when I betrayed my Lord and brought about his death. But I would like to tell you tonight there's no use for that. They had better not try. It was not that I was looking for a political messiah and that I betrayed him so that he might manifest his power, and that he might show that he was greater than the Roman eagle, and that I would occupy a great place in his political kingdom. No, don't try to excuse me. There are no honorable motives for what I did. I am Judas Iscariot. When the gospel writers mention my name, they always add, who betrayed Jesus. Mine is a tragic story. I do not ask you tonight to forgive me, but I do ask you that you will try to understand why I did what I did. When you realize my name is Judas Iscariot, that name Iscariot means that I was born in a little village called Kerioth. It was located in southern Judea. It may interest you to know that of all the twelve apostles, I was the only one who came from Judea. The other eleven came from Galilee. It may interest you to know that of all the people who were born in the little village of Kerioth, I am the only one who is known in this 20th century. And yet that little village is known because of me, Judas, who committed the despicable sin of betraying my Lord. Lest you wonder how I could do it, May I remind you, first of all, that I was a human being just like you are. And being a human being, what I did, you could do too. When I was born, my father's name was Simon. My parents were God-fearing, and I can assure you they were because they gave me a beautiful name, the name Judas. It means praise of God. In order to assure you that it's a beautiful name, Jesus, my Lord, had a brother by the same name, Judas. 
But in the Holy Writ, you find him called Jude. They have shortened it, lest it remind somebody of me, Judas, who betrayed my Lord. I would also want you to know that it's a beautiful name because there were two of us among the twelve who had the name Judas. And the other one, lest he be tainted by my name, is also called Jew. I was reared in a God-fearing home. I was reared to know the God of my forefathers. And then I want you to know there came the happiest day of my life. I met the Master. When I met the Master, he said, Judas, follow me. And I want you to know I did. And I followed him with joy. I was with him about three years in his earthly ministry. And I know that you are wondering tonight, how could Jesus have ever chosen me, Judas? when he knew that I would be the one who would betray him to his death. And may I ask you, why did he choose you? Why do you think Jesus called you to be one of his disciples? I would like to have you know that he called me not for something that I was, but he called me for something that he knew that I could become. And that's why he has called you too, isn't that true? Knowing what you can become when you follow him. If you want to know why I did what I did, I will tell you. I was greedy. My besetting sin was covetousness. I loved the almighty dollar. And I wanted it. And I couldn't get enough of them. I was greedy and I was avaricious and I didn't care how I got it. I saw to it that I was appointed the treasure of the twelve. I kept the bag, as you know. And from time to time, oh, my sin was not something that was sudden. From time to time, I stole from that bag. But just like anyone who does wrong when he knows that it's wrong, I didn't like to call it sin. I made it something little. I didn't want to admit it to myself that I, I was doing something that I knew was wrong. But I want you to know that when you start doing something that is wrong and you know it, and you go against your own better knowledge, that you start to kill your spiritual life, that you start to kill your conscience. And so from time to time, I took from that bag and I would make myself feel good by saying because of the extra trouble that I had in being treasurer that I deserved that extra money. This was my besetting passion. This was my sin. I knew better. I knew better than to steal. I knew better than to be a thief. But you know, the record says that I was a thief. Oh, I was warned in that three-year period. I remember one of the matchless sermons that my master preached when he said, Beware of covetousness. And I knew that here were darts that were being hailed my way and sent my way, but 
because what I was doing was that against my own better judgment, uh, those tracer darts and bullets, they just didn't mean anything to me. I wouldn't let them. And I remember in one of his sermons, one day took a scale. And on this one side of the scale, he put a soul. And on the other side, he put the entire world, everything that it had. And on his scale, the part, the side with the soul, that arm went down. It was of more value. But on my scale, on the one arm, I put Christ, and I put my soul, and I put my eternal life. And on the other side, I put 30 pieces of silver. My scale was thwarted. That's the side to me that went down. It meant so much to me. Oh, I had heard him preach quite often. And then there came the time when I was in Bethany with him. That was the Saturday night before Palm Sunday. And there was a banquet that was given in the home of one called Simon the leper. You've read about him. And at that banquet, there was Mary of Bethany. You know her as the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And I remember that night that Mary took a costly box of perfume and she broke it and she anointed the head and the feet of my Lord. And then the hypocrite that I was, I began to say, what a shame, what a disgrace to waste that amount of money on his head and on his feet. Why didn't she sell that perfume? And why didn't she then take the money of that costly spikenard? And why didn't she give it to the poor? Oh, I played the role of the hypocrite because my love to Jesus was gone because I had killed my conscience. My love for the other men was gone. All that I was afraid of that they would find me out and oh would to God that they had discovered it because I was getting away with something and the longer I got away with it the more I did it the more I was killing my spiritual life that night Jesus said let Mary alone she is anointing me in view of my burial and it was the night that I went out that was the night I went to the chief priests and I said to them, you're trying to arrest Jesus, aren't you? And they said, yes, but he's always around a crowd and we dare not take him when there's a crowd because there would be a riot. Then I told them, what would you give me? How much would you give me? How many dollars will you give me if I lead you to him sometime when he's not around a crowd and you can, you can take him then? And they promised me 30 pieces of silver. I know that doesn't sound like much. That's about $20 in your money. And I suppose in this 20th century, maybe it would, with inflation, be about 40. But for a man that's greedy, uh, 30 pieces of silver, oh, that meant everything to me. And so they paid me that Saturday night and I put those 30 pieces of silver in my pocket and I told them that I'd be on the lookout when I would find him alone. I'd let them come and they could arrest him. 
Well, I looked for my chance, and then came Thursday. and We were going to eat the Passover, and uh, Jesus outsmarted me that morning. Uh, I wondered, too, where he would eat the Passover on that Thursday night, and I thought, there's where we can get him. But he sent Peter and John into the city, and he didn't tell them where he was going to eat. He said, you meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, follow him, and you go to the home where he goes and I didn't know where that was so I I didn't have that chance but later that night we all gathered in that upper room and I would like to have you know that my Lord he was warning me and there was love and there was mercy that he was shown he sat in that upper room that night and as we were gathered, his heart was heavy, and he said, one of you is going to betray me. And oh, I played the consummate hypocrite. They all said, Lord, is it I? And I stood there too, and I said, Lord, is it I? This is what I did. And oh, he was so considerate. He didn't say, yes, it's you. No, he, he whispered to John, who was lying on his bosom. He said, I'm going to take a piece of bread, and I'm going to dip it in the sop and I'll give it to the one. And he quietly, no one knew why he did it, he took a piece of bread and he dipped it in the sop and he, he handed it to me. Then I said again, Lord, is it I? And he whispered, yes, Judas, it's you. Then he said, what you're going to do, do quickly. And the others didn't hear that. And I, I got up and I left that upper room. And I thought, I played a good chance and I played a hunch of mine I thought well it's rather late and I have an idea that he'll uh, he'll spend the night over in the garden of Gethsemane we had spent many nights there we slept outside for the most part because the weather was warm and so I I left the upper room and I went to the temple and I said I I think I know where he's going to be tonight and I think you can grab him now and there won't be any people around and I'll pay off my obligation and so uh, I figured and my hunch was right and I brought the temple we we, we walked up that uh, road uh, to the garden of Gethsemane and your minister tells me that he walked that road too and that night even when your minister was a moonlight night and we saw Jesus in the garden and uh, so uh, the men said, well, how are we going to know which one is Jesus? Who are we after? And so I, I told them, uh, I'll tell you how you'll know. The, the one that I kiss, uh, that'll be he. And then I, I walked up and my Lord saw me coming. You see, with a dead conscience, nothing meant anything to me then. It didn't bother me. And when I walked up, he, he called me friend. Think of it. He was still pleading. He says, friend, why are you come? And it, it didn't faze me. And I walked up to him and I kissed him. Why he didn't strike me dead on the spot, I don't know. But he just looked at me. And you could see he pitied me. And he said, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? With a kiss, Judas. With again the mark of friendship and love. And when I did, they grabbed him. And that's when 
My world caved in on me that night. Did you ever keep on doing something and you thought you got away with it and then you didn't and then your conscience came back to life again? That's what happened to me in the Garden of Gethsemane. My conscience woke up. For the first time in my life, I, I realized what I had done, that I had double-crossed the Son of God, that I had betrayed him. And they, they led him away. And I knew they were going to murder him. And I knew that I was the guy that did it. My world collapsed. I stood there alone. Oh, I know the gospel writers say that Peter cried, but I want you to know that I cried too. And I know that some of you feel sorry for me. I don't need your sorrow. I don't deserve it. And I wondered what to do, and here was the pathway. What do I do? I betrayed the Son of God. They're going to murder him because of me. I turned him over to them. Dirty, what a horrible, atrocious thing to do to a friend who loved me. Here were my paths. Do I go to Jerusalem and do I go to him? Do I ask for forgiveness or do I go to the left? I tell you when despair gets a hold of you, you may wonder what do you do. My, my road led to the other way. So I decided what I'd do. I'd go back to the temple. And I went back and, and I told them what I had done, that I'd betrayed innocent blood. And all oh, they had sacrificed thousands of lambs and had brought forgiveness to many, but they were worldly. And they just looked at me and laughed. They said, what's that to us? That's your, that's your funeral. That's your business. I'd like to tell you when you sin, don't tell your sin to the world. The world will just laugh at you and they'll just make a monkey out of you. So I reached into my pocket and I picked up the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them in, but it didn't do any good. You can't get rid of sin that way. Oh, you may say, well, didn't Zechariah the prophet say that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? Yes, I didn't have to do it. Zechariah didn't say that the man's name would be Judas. I did it because I was a greedy man. Because I was doing something I knew was wrong and I killed my soul. I did it because I wanted to do it. Then I turned away and nobody cared. And I cried and I wondered, what do I do now? So as you know what I did, I went and got a rope. When this Abundancy hits you. You don't know what you may do. I took my own life, as you know. And I would like to say to you and say a few words about those who commit suicide. I want you to know that they are so misunderstood. Sometimes we don't try to understand them. In your own country, there are somewhere between 60 and 100 people every day who take their own life. Your minister has told me that today 
just on this day. He has dealt with two cases. One case of suicide where the person carried it out who is dead. There was another, he tells me, that attempted it. But by the providence of God, death didn't come. Do you know anything of the weariness of talking where suicide has taken place? I just like to tell you there are suicides that fall into about three different classes. There are those that take their own life when their minds are deranged. God knows they are not accountable, they are not responsible. No more than if we would demand that our organist tonight would play on the organ with every key out of tune. Then there are those who take their own lives who are afraid of tomorrow for business reasons, for social status. They are afraid of tomorrow. So often the men and the women, for personal reasons and domestic problems, afraid of tomorrow, we so little understand them. And then there are those who take their own life because they're ashamed of yesterday. That's where I, Judas, fit. I was ashamed of yesterday. My Lord had been so good. He had called me to greatness. And yet again, I led a besetting passion of greed, of the love of money, of wanting more and more to kill my soul. Oh, listen, if you are despondent, I didn't do it, but if you are despondent for God's sakes, go talk to somebody. Don't do what I did. Oh, it's good to see the damnableness of your sin, and I did. And, but if, if all you do is just think about your sin, then you may do what I did. But that was my trouble, all I did. I have betrayed innocent blood. I was the one who sent my Lord be murdered on the cross. And I, in my despondency, I didn't turn to him. This was the tragedy of my life. I was in that upper room that night when my Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. And you have it tonight. Could I, Judas Iscariot, just say to you, regardless of what you've done, if you are despondent over your sins, know this, that in the sacrament tonight you get his body and his blood, those tremendous erasers which will wash off of your soul and erase from your soul all your guilt and all the shame and all the sin if you but turn to him. Could I say to you before I leave you, you've always sung a hymn, Come ye disconsolate, where'er ye languish, come to the mercy seat, fervently kneel, 
Here bring your wounded hearts. Here again bring your anguish. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. I don't ask for forgiveness. My life began close to heaven, and it ended in, in hell. I sent myself there. Jesus, who loved me dearly, said of me, it were better for that man if he had never been born. I took a rope, and I tied one end of it to a tree branch, and the other around my neck. And I jumped. Oh! Oh! Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.